into hearts, some of which may be weighed down this morning as we encounter the powerful Savior, Jesus Christ. May you bring hope, encouragement, purpose, and direction. It's in His name we pray. Amen. You all can be seated. So this week, the list of folks that our family prays for, Carolyn and I, grew by three. Three situations uh, where folks were discouraged. Uh, One was a friend of our boys who, on the playground at school, someone said some cutting words that that just shredded his heart. And he went home heavy-hearted. It it took us back to a few years ago when that happened to one of our boys. And that we remembered that not only does the kid feel that, but the parent feels it too for the kid. And so we're praying for him. Uh, two, two of our friends in Ohio were added to that list, both going through dark and discouraging seasons. Uh, one has been walking through it for months, and, and this week he, he texted and just said it's bad. It is just bad. It's really bad. He's got this heavy heart, and the other one uh, confessed to another friend that, that if she didn't have kids, she would end her life now. And so we began praying for these folks, the, the discouragement, the darkness that is upon them. And I think about those situations, and the first one, I know there's a human reality on that playground. We have a flesh that can choose to do wicked things. We have a tongue that can either bring life or destroy those we speak to. But I also believe there's an enemy that loves to tempt us to use it in that way that shreds other people created in the image of God. There's an enemy who loves to steal and kill and destroy. I think about the the other two situations, and I know in situations like that, we are complex beings. We are physical, and sometimes there's physical realities that need looked into. We are We have brains. Sometimes we need to look at the mental side of things, but I think sometimes we forget there's also a very real spiritual component to who we are. There's a very real spiritual battle going on with that enemy who seeks to steal and kill and destroy. And the encounter we have with Jesus in Mark chapter 5, we see this battle vividly portrayed. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Mark chapter 5. Verse 1, first section, I want to talk to you about some peril, danger that is realized in this situation, okay? 5 verse 1, they came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. Now, if you go back to last week when Pastor Aaron was preaching, you remember this was the same Sea of Galilee. They had crossed, Jesus had calmed the storm, and now they got to the other side As Jesus promised, this is the eastern side of the Sea of Galilee. There's a bunch of cities over there, 10 cities called the Decapolis. They're mostly Gentile cities, okay? Jesus shows up over there and it says, When Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs. Archaeologists have found caves 
on that side of the Sea of Galilee large enough that would be suitable for tombs. Possibly the ones we read about in this story. I think about this. You, if you have a busy schedule, just look at Jesus. He could relate to you. Think of what he just went through <laughs> that evening on the sea. He's trying to get some rest. He calms the sea. And as soon as he gets to the other side, here comes a demon-possessed man running down toward him and his disciples. And you see this very real peril realized in this man's life. Listen to the description of this man. No one could bind him anymore. Not even with a chain. Verse 4, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. When I read that, especially that phrase crying out, if you're like me, you cannot read about this man without your heart just exploding with some compassion for what he was experiencing. His behavior was out of control because he was controlled by demons. He was restless and miserable to the, to the point where he was actually bringing harm to himself, cutting himself with stones, crying out. He was isolated among tombs. He's living in this place of death. Now, the other Gospels tell us there was one other demon-possessed man with him, but together those two men are totally isolated from their family and their friends in the village because of what the demons have done to them. Completely helpless, and many in the village would probably look at them and say, those two men are hopeless. They are completely hopeless. Now, look at what Satan's demons had done to this man I think about the fact that some believe, even in churches, that Satan and the demons are just a metaphor for the evil in the world. And I want to ask you, do, do you believe in the reality of the enemy? 1 Peter 5 verse 8, Peter told us, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Paul says in Ephesians 6, 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. These are warnings even for believers because while I believe... The believer in Jesus Christ can never be possessed by a demon. You know, the Holy Spirit lives there and He doesn't have roommates. Right? We can be oppressed, harassed, harangued, and we need to be aware. The peril is realized when we look at this man. Next, we see the preeminence of Jesus Christ recognized. First, I want you to watch these, these demons inside this man, even the demons, they recognize Jesus' exalted position over them. Verse 6, when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, a voice of the demons within, I believe he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you by God, do not 
torment me. For Jesus was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. Even the demons acknowledged his exalted position over them. They're begging him not to torment them. They also recognize something else. They recognize their final destiny that would come at Jesus' hand. They begged him, do not torment me, right? Verse 9, Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, a legion of Roman soldiers at this time was thousands of soldiers. Okay, we do not know if this man literally had thousands of demons within him, but we know he had many for his name to be that, enough to disturb 2,000 pigs to run off a cliff later on. And listen to this. They recognized, even though they were many, that the many were outmatched by the one. (laughs) They're many, but verse 10, they're begging him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Verse 11, now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. So he gave them permission. I love that they needed the permission of Jesus. They recognized their need for his permission. If you want to go more in depth on this reality, there's a great book by a pastor in Chicago, Erwin Lutzer, called The Serpent of Paradise. One of my favorite lines in that book is this, that the devil is God's devil. He is a creation. He is not on an equal plane with the Creator. He can do nothing without the permission of the Almighty God. And these demons realized they were in the presence of God. Let me ask you, do you, believer, rest and trust in the preeminence of Jesus in the spiritual battle? Are you banking on that? Because look, Ephesians 6.10 And 11 says, finally be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. But I want to ask you, how often do we skip to verse 11 and think about putting on the whole armor, but we breeze right past verse 10 where it says, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. See, when we use that armor, it's by faith in Him and who He is. It's not something we do on our own. It's the power of Jesus, His preeminence that wins the battle. Now, another thought here. I mentioned earlier that many, even within churches around the world, believe that Satan and his demons are just a metaphor. A couple of thoughts here. Jesus has quite the conversation with a metaphor in this passage. That's some metaphor that's talking back and forth, right? And it is some kind of metaphor that can cause 2,000 pigs to run off a cliff. If you doubt the reality of Satan and his demons, this is one encounter in the Bible that makes it clear they're real. Another question many trip on here is, what about the, the poor piggies? Like, Jesus didn't make them run off the cliff, but he allowed the demons to to enter into them and run off the cliff. And there are skeptics of the New Testament who say this is one reason they don't believe in the Jesus of the New Testament, because 
He would not do that. J. Vernon McGee, one of my favorite authors and teachers, uh, talked about a conversation with a skeptic he had one time who had this objection. J. Vernon McGee thought it was ironic because they were sitting over breakfast and the other man was eating sausage. (laughs) But there are answers to this question, I believe. Uh, Some have said, well, Jews weren't supposed to have pigs, so maybe Jesus was, was punishing Jews, but we already said this is primarily a Gentile area. So I don't believe that's the case here. But here are a couple answers you could take to the bank on this. One, and this first one's probably the most uncomfortable, maybe the hardest to swallow, but it's true. If you've got a problem with this passage, don't read Genesis 6. Because in that passage, God flooded the whole world and spared only a small remnant of humans and animals. The argument here is, as creator, God reserves the right to do as he pleases, whether we're comfortable with it or not. Another, another just more, uh, maybe an argument that, that speaks to us today as well, Think about 2,000 pigs raised by pig farmers and what would be their eventual destiny had this not happened. It would not be spending their olden years enjoying the sunsets along the Sea of Galilee, right? Bacon. The the argument here is they're going to die anyways at some point, all right? (laughs) Okay. The last one I, I like as well, though. This provided visible proof to the man who was set free that those demons had come out and the people watching. Something amazing just happened here. What came out of that man went into those pigs and he saw it, the villagers saw it, the the disciples saw it. We'll talk more about the pigs in a moment. But first I want to talk about peace restored in this man's life. Verses 14 and 15. The herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. Probably quick to say, it wasn't us. We didn't run those pigs off the cliff. This guy, you got it was him, right? He didn't want to get in trouble. People came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus. Look what they saw. They saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had had the legion, sitting there clothed and in his right mind. Quite a contrast from the first time we met him. Now I want to ask you a personal question. Do you believe Jesus Christ can bring rest to your restless soul? That he can bring peace into the chaos in your life? This was brought home to me last night in a powerful way. And I hesitated to share this because I don't know, you know, I'm human and I, I'm thinking through, do I share this or not? And I know there are people probably say, oh, gosh, Scott, you're so weak. You know, and I thought about, you know what? I am. I'm not here to impress you with my strength. I'm here to point us to the power of Jesus Christ. So if that requires me to occasionally share a moment of my own weakness, I'll do it. Last night was another one of those nights. 
you've gone here for any amount of time, you know I have them regularly. I'd like to say it's a one and done thing, but that's not how life works with me. I have this constant need to go back to Jesus. Maybe you do too. I woke up about 12.30 after sleeping a few hours and I could not get back to sleep and anxiety was just swirling in my head for one hour, two hours. And it almost began to feel dark and in light of the passage I'm studying, I I couldn't help but wonder, is this spiritual attack, Lord? I couldn't sleep. So I went out to the living room and I opened an email that that sends um, devotionals and Bible references in the first verse I came to, Lamentations 3, 22 through 26 in this email, I just read it. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in Him. The Lord is good to those who wait for Him, to the soul who seeks Him. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. And I read that and I sat there and he met me. And you know what? You know those big, heavy, healing tears that start to flow that feel so good? Not tears of grief, but tears of relief. Like, ah, that is what I needed. They started to flow. And I'm telling you, I, I slept like a baby the rest of the night. Jesus restored peace to my soul. Do you believe he can bring peace to your restless soul? I love this story because this is an extreme example. It's almost like if if Jesus can bring peace to this dude, (laughs) he can bring peace to you. There's nobody outside of his power to do that. How would the villagers react? (laughs) might surprise you that the Bible says they were afraid. Why would they be afraid? Well, you remember... They tried everything to chain this guy, and he'd break him, and it says no one had strength to subdue him, but all of a sudden, Jesus is here. There's somebody here who is stronger than that guy. That is some serious power. How, how is this guy going to wield it? But also, I believe something that happens here is the priorities of this village are revealed. Watch this, verse 17. Not only were they afraid, verse 17 says they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Why? Why? If you live in that village, wouldn't you be thankful that your tormented neighbor and maybe family member had been set free from what was driving him mad, that he was restored to wholeness? Probably, but listen, if you valued your your bacon business above all else and you looked out in the sea and you saw those bloated prophets floating there, each one with a dollar sign over it, your financial priorities would require such a disturber to, to leave. See, I believe with many others that their financial priorities stifled their compassion for the man and their openness to Jesus. The really sobering thing is they begged him to leave, and he will. How much did they miss out on because they valued their financial priorities 
their business over the Savior. I believe their priorities were out of whack. Their, their pork business had become an idol in their lives. Is this why Jesus allowed the pigs to be destroyed? To rebuke the idolatrous priorities of this village? If you read your Old Testament, there's time after time where God told his people to destroy idolatrous altars, to tear them down, to smash them, to burn them. But I want to ask a question. What lies behind the idols we worship? Psalm 106 shed some light on this. Verse 36 and 37 says about Israel, they served their idols, which became a snare to them. They sacrificed their sons and their daughters to the demons. To the demons. If you know your Old Testament, the idol was Molech a pagan idol, but what the psalmist is saying is behind that idol worship were demons inspiring the people to worship idols. That's who they were offering their children to ultimately were the same demons who tormented the man behind the idolatrous priorities of this village. I wonder, and I think about today, today's idols aren't Molech, they're not Baal, most of us don't have a pig business, but let me throw out a few favorites, money, sex, recognition, power, self, and the danger lies not only in worshiping the thing itself, but we have to ask the question, who is pulling the strings behind that idol to tempt us to lift it higher than God, to put it in His place, a place only He should be. And I think about that, and I think about the fact that Satan and his forces have a lot more subtle ways than demon possession to destroy our lives. And idolatry is at the top of the list. So I think it's important, even as believers... This morning to ask, are there any of my priorities that are out of whack? Anything that I've lifted above God? Anything that I've lifted above loving neighbor as myself? Any idols that need smashed in my life this morning? Next, I want to talk about the pursuit of Jesus. Verse 18, as he was getting into the boat, he's, he's getting ready to leave. The man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. So he encounters this demon-possessed man, sets him free. This is the only thing that's recorded that happened there, and Jesus is already getting ready to leave. Was this encounter with this demon-possessed man the reason Jesus came across that stormy sea? I think about that, and you know what I think about? The pursuing love of God. 
I think about Jesus elsewhere walking through Samaria instead of around it so He could sit down at a well with a Samaritan woman with a bad reputation to tell her about the living water. Reminds me of Luke 19, chapter 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It makes me think about the pursuit of God for people that others would say are, are hopeless. Now there are scholars who even believe the storm we heard about last week that Jesus calmed was whipped up by Satan himself as a last ditch effort to keep Jesus from reaching his prized possession. This man. We know from Job, occasionally he has permission to use weather. He used a whirlwind to kill Job's children. Whatever the case, listen to this, the mighty pursuing servant of the Lord could not and would not be stopped. 1 John 3.8, the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. Mark 3.27, Jesus had told us no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds a strong man. Then indeed he may plunder his house. Jesus pursued a man everyone else ran away from and he plundered Satan's house and set him free. That is the pursuing love of God. You think about this encounter, you think about the fact that Jesus crossed a stormy sea to reach this man. Now think about the big picture. The Son of Man that came to seek and save what was lost. He left heaven to come here to pursue you. So I'm telling you, no matter what you're going through this morning, no matter how alone you feel, you may feel that no one cares about you enough to check in or care on you. Jesus is pursuing you. He loves you. God is a pursuing God. Finally, I want to talk to you about purpose renewed. Verse 19. The man begged to go with Jesus. Verse 19 says he did not permit him. Why? Why? But Jesus said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how He has had mercy on you. This man had a new mission in life. His purpose for living was, was renewed. Now think about this big picture. Genesis 1, every man and woman is created what? In the image of God. And what were those demons doing to this man? The image of God in him. They were vandalizing that image. He, he was acting more like an animal than a human created in the image of God. But Jesus came, set him free, and renewed his purpose to live in the image of God. How would he do that? He said, tell your neighbors how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. You know, we talk a lot about live a full life in Jesus and bring others along for the ride. You're looking for practical nuggets on how to do that. Here's a great place to start. Do what he did. Be ready to tell people how much the Lord has done for you and how He's had mercy on you. And I think about this. How beautiful. How beautiful. Because when I look at what the demons did to those pigs, I believe that was their ultimate plan for that man. His early demise. To, to destroy him. Then Jesus showed up. And now, <laughs> this one who is written off as totally hopeless is a missionary 
for Jesus. Is that not the hope for each one of us that Jesus has pursued and set free? You see, no one, no one is hopeless when Jesus is in the picture. I want to close by inviting you to just bow your heads, close your eyes. And when I shared those stories at the beginning, maybe you thought of your own weight. Maybe you feel alone. Maybe you feel discouraged. Maybe life is dark right now and you're feeling desperate. I read a psalm this week that I want to read to you. As though the demon-possessed man prayed no prayer in the encounter with Jesus. This is a prayer he well could have prayed. And maybe you relate to it in, in your moment of darkness. It's just crying out to God. Just, just listen to this, and then I want to give you a few moments to have your own conversation with, with God about whatever darkness or discouragement you're dealing with. Psalm 142. With my voice I cry out to the Lord. With my voice I plead for mercy to the Lord. I pour out my complaint before Him. I tell my trouble before Him. When my spirit faints within me, you know my way. In the path where I walk, they have hidden a trap for me. Look to the right and see. There's no none who takes notice of me. No refuge remains to me. No one cares for my soul. I cry to you, O Lord. I say, you are my refuge, my portion in the land of the living. Attend to my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are too strong for me. Bring me out of prison, that I may give thanks to your name. The righteous will surround me, for you will deal bountifully with me. I'll take a few moments and just send up your own heart cry to this powerful Savior.